0: This is the Energy Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. That's what's going to be, I think, truly transformational to a lot of businesses, and hydrogen fuel cells enable a lot of use cases with
1: batteries. By covering the surfaces in floating solar PV panels, you can not only generate electricity on site, you can actually purify the water.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. I am your host, Tyler Kern. Joining me is Dan Alford. He's the president of ARC Specialties. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: So we're looking back at the 50th edition of OTC. We're going to break down the show and kind of get into some of the themes and talk about some of the big things that Dan saw while he was there at OTC this year. But Dan, let's start off here. You've been at Arc for over thirty years, and you've seen a lot in this industry. What do you make of some of the innovations that you've seen now over the last uh, several years or so?
1: I'll tell you what, I, I see two different things. First is the the drop in oil prices has forced everyone to be more efficient in our industry. You know, which works well for me because we build automation and this. I suppose the the second thing is just the amazing technological challenges that we're facing when we're drilling offshore you know we're working you know beneath miles of water and miles of rock the pressures and temperatures are so high that the technology to, to produce some of these oils doesn't even exist. So, you know, I love a challenge, and uh, that's what we're seeing nowadays is, is tremendous technical challenges. Yeah, you mentioned
0: that, that volatility of, of the price of oil over the last uh, several years. Um, how have you seen technology really shift to, to respond to some of those challenges? Talk me through a little bit more about automation and what's going on in that space. <laughs>
1: Uh, again, two answers. Uh, autom- <laughs> automation in the oil field, uh, I think the the most visible is the fracking. So we're able to produce uh, oil from from uh, geological formations which weren't economically practical before. And so now with fracking, we can uh, open up these, crack, crack these rocks, uh, let the oil loose. And so you know we see a lot of technology to produce wells that wouldn't have been profitable but but then my world is more back in the factory where we're building the components that go into the oil field the valves the pipes the drill bits things like that and uh everyone has to become more efficient or go out of business a lot of people have gone out of business since 19 i mean 2015. Uh, and those that have remained in business have, have become more efficient, and one of the ways you do that is automation. And, of course, currently robotics is, is the catchword, and robotics is one way to improve efficiency inside a factory.
0: Do you see some of these increased efficiencies and increased uh, automations and, uh, in robotics and all of these things that you're talking about, uh, do you see them making rigs safer and, and operating more efficiently, so, so saving more money? Do you see those kind of being uh, tangible benefits from this?
1: Oh yeah, on, on a personal level, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in my 60s and when I was a kid, you know, the, so many people were missing fingers and such. And nowadays, the emphasis on safety is such that uh, accident rates are, are way down and uh, everybody likes that. And once again, automation gets the people away from the dangerous jobs or we make the automation safe and that's one of the focuses of the new, uh, type of robots called collaborative robots. Uh, they can work safely next to a human being. So, For economic reasons and just uh, humanitarian reasons, safety has become a big issue over the last 30 years.
0: When it comes to automation also, are, are you able to to create products that are collecting more data and then uh, offering that back to people as a, as a way just to understand the efficiency of how rigs are running so then they can maximize that? Is that something that's happening more and more frequently now?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and that's one of my one of my favorite things to do is because these systems are aware of all the variables, you know, the, the computer is already making these measurements and making these adjustments on part size, part temperature, you know, all these different variables. So why not log this data? Uh, the best example I can give you is uh, we're welding up some parts and to inspect these parts normally required radiography, you have to x-ray them, but these parts were too big to move. So that meant you had to bring the uh, x-ray sources right into the factory to, to make these uh, radiographs to inspect the wells. That means you had to evacuate the factory. Okay, you know, you, know, you, can, you can see the problem here, right? And so what we were able to do is prove uh, by correlating the data that we collected over a year with the radiographic results that we had taken that we could, we could predict defects. The implication of this is we were able to eliminate radiography.
0: That's, that's really impressive, uh, and something that, that I'm sure is absolutely um, beneficial. And when it comes to, to data, is is artificial intelligence helping at all with that as well, just with the collection and the synthesizing of that, so then it's able to be put into kind of uh, workable forms?
1: Exactly. So uh, we're, we're branching off into artificial intelligence now. In fact, the, we introduced a new product at the OTC this year as an automatic pipe welder. I gotta give you a little background on pipe welding. It's to make a pipe weld where you're welding from the outside of the pipe and making a good weld on the inside of the pipe, that's one of the most challenging jobs in the welding industry. The the guys that can do this are are called the guys with the golden arm. And we can make good pipe welds with machined joints, but nobody wants to machine the joints because all these fittings and pipes and elbows and tees pre-beveled and people want to simply leave that bevel in place. Well with a bevel there's an infinite number of variations in the joint and the welder with the golden arm uses his eyes to detect these variations and then automatically compensate for them. You know that's what he does and uh, that's that's why they make the big bucks. But what we're trying to do is take that knowledge of these these uh, older pipe welders that we have uh, we have several on staff, and t- take their knowledge of how to react to joint variation, and then we collect the data on joint variation using a two-dimensional laser, and then we create a program. So there's an infinite number of possible solutions. You know, e- each point on the pipe requires different parameters in the form of travel speed, oscillation, amperage, voltage. You know, all the variables. And so this is a great application for AI. We can collect the data with a two D laser. We can use the information that has been developed by these old pipe welders over you know their careers, and we can combine them into a system that can compensate for any joint variation.
0: See, and I always thought that the the person with the golden arm was Justin Verlander. But so I, I've learned something today. That's that's uh, very very helpful. Um, no, but so some people might hear that and uh, I wonder if in the industry you get any pushback from people that think that automation and what you're doing is actually taking jobs away from people. How do you answer questions like that and and what what is the atmosphere and the mood surrounding that topic?
1: Oh, no, you're you're talking about a fight that i have uh you know very often you know when we bring automation in but uh, but here's what i tell people you know it's a global economy whether you like it or not And personally i like it i believe in a free market so if you have a global economy you're competing with the guys in uh you know third world countries where for wages are let's say one third of our wages okay if you're going to compete with this guy you've got to be three times faster well, uh, one example of our blowout preventer welder, for example, is seven times faster wow. than than a human. So all of a sudden, you know, people with my robotic blowout preventer welding technology are able to work twice as fast as the low-paid guy in a third-world country. So I'm not costing jobs. I'm saving jobs right here in the United States mm. through improved efficiency.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way of, of thinking about it. I, I had not thought about the issue in, in that way. And you're Right. When you're competing as a, you know, as a private company against some of these state-owned uh, oil companies around the world, um, you have to take advantage of everything that you have at your disposal, and automation is just one piece of that puzzle, I would
1: assume. All right, yeah, that's just my end of the world, but uh, yeah, we're competing with state-owned oil companies. You know, in any other industry, if. Uh a government was subsidizing an industry and allowing them to sell below cost. That would be referred to as dumping. But in the old patch, it's it's just another challenge we have to overcome.
0: Absolutely, and one of the other challenges that has kind of been popping up in the industry is just the the aging of the workforce and attracting new uh, new talent into the industry. Does um, does some of this automation make it more attractive for for new engineers to kind of join? Just because there are new possibilities of what what you can do in the industry and that sort of thing.
1: Oh yeah, like I said, it's. I think these are exciting times. Uh, you know, the deeper you drill, the higher the pressure, the higher the temperature, and we literally don't have the materials to produce these oils. So it's exciting times for the material scientists, uh, for the materials engineers. And then in my world, uh, in robotics and automation, it's exciting times. Computer power is getting cheaper. Sensors are getting better. Uh, I, and we're attracting a lot of youngsters into this field. Uh, my company, the, some of the young people call it the Robot Club, and I like that. <laughs> I like
0: that a lot too. And, you know, just, just from the outside looking in and, and hearing you talk about this, this really sounds like an industry that offers some really incredible opportunities for engineers. It, you know, there's a lot of innovation. There's, there's creative problem solving. There are challenges to overcome, like you mentioned. That's got to be attractive for, for you know, some younger engineers, as long as they just understand what's what's going on in the business.
1: Well, plus, it's lucrative. You know, there's uh, the old business pays well. But yeah, uh, no, it doesn't hurt at all. But uh, but if you if you're interested in in real challenges, you know, then then this is a great place to be. And and step it down one level. Let's talk about technicians for a minute. Uh, the world needs more technicians, and so the 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 technician that runs this pipe welding AI robot that's a fascinating job, and it's it's a well-paying job, and it's. I think it's also potentially a stepping stone to an engineering position. So I think we're attracting uh, some young people into the technology where they have to understand understand the crafts and they have to have the skills because somebody has to make this stuff work.
0: How much of it do you think is that maybe the perception overall of the industry is still what you were talking about a little bit earlier, guys missing some fingers and there being you know this this high element of danger in certain spots whereas now the reality is more of what you're talking about. You know, you're part of the robot club, and uh, technicians are needed to help, you know, operate and run these robots and that sort of thing. That's, that's high tech. That's future. You know, that's, that's forward thinking. Um, maybe the, I don't know, maybe the perception of the industry is still somewhat rooted in the past.
1: It is, but uh, I think it's changing. Uh, when I got out of school, you know, I'm talking late 70s, uh, 30% of our economy... Of the gross domestic product was manufacturing and 10% was financial services. Uh, you know, you get to 2008 and that had flopped. You know, we're now 30% financial services and 10% manufacturing. And you saw what that did to the economy it crashed. And, uh, and I've read a great deal about this phenomenon. Uh, it's a natural progression of economies from agriculture and mining and then manufacturing to financial services to ruin. But every example that I've, I've read about, uh, the way that economies recover is through manufacturing because there's only three segments of our economy that create wealth. That's mining, farming, and manufacturing. Everything else just redistributes wealth and so I think people have figured out that uh, the way that we have uh, the standard of living that we have now it is through the creation of wealth and jobs and, and manufacturing is probably the best way to do that in a modern economy.
0: Right right absolutely absolutely. I wonder just from from your perspective, why are shows like OTC so important for the industry as a whole? Is it good for people to get around each other and see what's going on in the industry and see some of the new innovations and, and reconnect on a yearly basis? Uh, that's a
1: fascinating point you know and I've, I've always wondered about that you know being old I, I live in fear that I'll become a dinosaur in, in technology but I, I find it ironic that you know here we are in 21st century, and one of the best ways to go to market is still a trade show. Uh, for us, it's, you know, I think word of mouth is the best, and uh, but trade shows and, and the internet are, are definitely number two. And I, what I think it is, uh, based on personal experience, you know, when I send my engineers to go out and buy machines, they go to a show. Because at a show, you know, you go face to face, you get to kick the tires, you get to talk to the people and you do it without the interference of your phone ringing and the intercom buzzing and so i don't know when it'll end but uh... i think that trade shows are going to be a viable technique for selling uh... in the foreseeable future
0: yeah you know as much as technology advances and some things change there's some things that just can't be replicated about being there face-to-face, you know, in person and getting demonstrations and getting to see things up close and personal. I think that that's something that, that won't really ever go away as much as technology might advance in that sort of thing.
1: Right. And, and the internet kind of grays uh, that, you know, uh, everybody looks big on the internet, you know, you could be out of your garage, uh, but there, you know, once you get to the show, there's no denying uh, whether you've really got a machine there.
0: Was there anything that stood out to you? Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to kind of browse around. I, I know that uh, that typically at a trade show you're kind of locked into your booth and, and, and chatting with people all day. But did you get to see anything that really stood out as as forward thinking, as innovative, or something that you saw that was just particularly exciting?
1: Well, first off, uh, no. I, I seldom stay in the booth. Uh, I, I don't have the attention span. So no, I got. <laughs> well, I want to see what's going on, and uh, and I, I yeah. walk around walk around the place. Uh, Let's see, uh, the, the thing that, that was most noticeable to me was that this is part of the natural cycle in the oil patch, like I said, I've been been in it for 30 something years. This is the natural cycle where acquisitions occur. And so people are acquiring this company and we're getting bigger and bigger companies. And, uh, and that, that's just typical, I've seen it happen before. And then the next phase is we have startups and innovation and the cycle begins anew.
0: Yeah. So you you, you think that um, at some point these these startups and this innovation will get bought up and, and absorbed into bigger companies, or wh- kind of where are we in the in the cycle that you've noticed?
1: Uh, you know, like I said, we're in the uh, we're in the acquisition phase, and yeah. and that'll that'll create opportunity for innovation and small company startups in in the near future. So that that was the thing that uh, most got my attention uh, as far as technology. Uh, you know, fracking is still big right now, although they're beginning to see diminishing returns in, in those fields. Uh, you know, they're they're throwing more technology at it, but uh, with uh, diminishing returns on oil. Uh, one thing that, that, that caught my eye was, uh, and it's going to be completely unrelated to robotics, unless you think about how robots are powered. And uh, there was a clever display where they were demonstrating how they prevent... Um, short circuits from damaging parts. Now you have to understand everybody has a circuit breaker to to, uh, stop a short circuit but the circuit breakers take 50 milliseconds to uh, function and so they had a way of doing this differently that trapped it down to four milliseconds. So what does it have to do with robots? Nothing. What does it have to do with power consumption? Everything. And so that, that's what I look for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That that, that makes sense. These are some uh, really exciting developments in the industry, and I'm curious to see where it goes uh, between now and next year's OTC. So should it uh, should be an interesting ride, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, chatting with you about that uh, throughout the coming year. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and recapping OTC with me, and uh, hopefully we get to do it again in the future. Tyler, it's been
1: a pleasure. Thanks for your time.